I'm thrilled to be with you again. And this is a moment. And, you know, I keep reminding us that every moment that you are present, to be present to it as fully as you can, because these moments pass. And it's always in retrospect that we wish that we had captured more of the moments that are present. And uh, and so rather than live in any sort of regret, uh, we can live fully present to the moment. And so uh, we're going to dive into Mark that we've been studying. We've been going through this and it's been a thrill. I love going through biblical books and just kind of, you know, looking at the wisdom that's there and, um, and being challenged to take it further uh, and go beyond uh, even <clears throat> where we are now to something further. And that is also the reason why I believe that questions uh, are more important sometimes than answers. Uh, questions have the power to invite us onto a journey. Think about scientists who have made incredible discoveries. Did they make incredible discoveries because they had all the answers and didn't have any questions and were afraid of questions and were afraid of where those questions might lead. Or maybe something else, maybe they were willing to enter into how the question might actually change them and change the way they see things. It is incredibly difficult for us to stay comfortable with questions. Think about your politics, think about your faith, think about your sports. There was a little banter going on uh, pre-service between Yankees and the Red Sox, uh, which is also always fun. Um, and there's, uh, there's, there's sometimes, even though you can be lighthearted about it, there's sometimes we take it very seriously. And we have our answers. This is what the team needs to do. This is what we should be doing. Uh, as in, This is what the organization should be doing in order to win. And we have our answers. But questions sometimes can be so unsettling because they can undermine our beliefs, our biases. And so many people resist them. And yet the greatest discoveries that have ever been made in this world have been made because of a question. Because of curiosity, because of willing to challenge previously held beliefs. And, and, and this is what always is so difficult. You know, prior to the whole idea of hand washing back a long time ago, before the discovery of how viruses moved around and traveled and, and uh, could, be, uh, could be the cause of infections. When the first proposal that maybe you should wash your hands before doing it, touching somebody's wound as a doctor, it was met with such resistance. This is ridiculous. This has never been true. And, you know, we, we've, we've always done it a certain way. And yet when it finally was proven, it shifted everything and the science took a leap forward. This is true of every thing in life, including our faith, which is why Jesus seems to ask more questions or when he gives an answer, 
it's a it's a non-answer have you have you ever noticed that if you've read the gospels or heard the the sermons about jesus that the questions and the answers the answers he gives are non-answers they're actually a cleverly uh given answer that's meant to provoke more thought more questions more unsettling and so we're in mark 15 and this is where uh jesus uh, speaks or is questioned by the Sanhedrin, is questioned by Pilate, and he's about to be crucified. And the title of the talk today, no surprise, is The Power of <clears throat> a Question. The Power of a Question. And so in Mark 15, um, verses 1 through 5, <clears throat> very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Simple question. Jesus is on trial. Jesus is what? He's he's on the defense right he's he's the defender and there's a prosecution um and his role is to give answers in defense of himself that's the stage that's what was expected you set yourself you're in this position now you have to give an answer you have to defend yourself you have to prove to rome that you're not an insurrectionist that you're not actually going to try to overthrow Rome, that you're not going to cause an uprising. You're not going to cause problems. And the response that Jesus gives in verse two is a weird one. You have said so. In response to the question, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies, you have said so. Verse three, the chief priests accused him of many things. It's funny, they accuse him of many things because there is no one thing that they can accuse him of. So they accuse him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? Now you might think, well, he did. He said, you have said so, but that's a non-answer. Remember, we just said, Jesus oftentimes gives non-answers <laughs> or asks a question. Um, I Google searched this and I was uh, not surprised. It's what I expected. But for most of the websites that are devoted to providing biblical answers, biblical truth, their quest is to give answers, not to ask questions. Because you came with a question. And so they're there to provide an answer. And the answers that they provide are things like Jesus is making it plain that he is the king of the Jews. He is saying, yes, in fact, I am the king of the Jews. <laughs> I don't know what to do anymore. I just, I'm like, are we reading the same thing? Are we, are we not reading the same Bible here? And these are people that are devoted, that have degrees around this, like devoted to, it, Pilate would not have said, <laughs> aren't you going to answer the question if Jesus had confirmed it? Yes, I'm the king of the Jews, right? I, mean, I, think, I think that is a logical 
conclusion. So, so pardon my snark here, but it is really annoying to me when people take scripture like this and try to give an answer when the very point of this whole thing is that the question is what actually leads us to transformation. It's the question itself that leads us onto a journey of discovery. It's the question itself that undermines our biases, our presuppositions, our answers so that we feel safe in the world. We have all the answers. We know how things work. And yet, Jesus says, no, 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 there's a question that has to undermine you. And you know what? Every single one of you sitting here or standing or wherever you are, know this to be true from an experiential standpoint. You would not be where you are today if there wasn't some question that you couldn't answer that provoked you to begin to move your life towards God, to open up to a new way of being. Am I right? Every one of us sitting here, we've been through that. But it's also very easy for us to become comfortable with the new answers we get and to say, now I got the answer. Please don't ask any more questions. Please don't unsettle me anymore. I like my answers. I like my comfort. I like where I'm at. But, but Jesus pushes it further. And, and, and so when the chief priests accuse him of many things and Pilate asks, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. Aren't you going to say, no, I'm not any of these things or, you know, whatever they're accusing me of, I'm not that. Um, any kind of defense. And Jesus made, it says in verse five, but Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Pilate was amazed. Pilate should not have been amazed. You understand, this is like, these are like significant things that are happening here in this passage. They're supposed to rattle the reader. Pilate should not have been amazed about anything. Pilate's a governor. He's been doing this for his whole life. He's been doing for his whole work career anyways. He has been in positions of leadership, influencing, listening to trials, condemning people, setting other people free. There isn't anything he hasn't seen or heard. He has seen other would-be messiahs come, get crucified, and go. Jesus isn't the first. There are plenty of messiahs that came before Jesus, would-be messiahs, and they all died. And so this isn't any, so this is just another would-be messiah. And by the way, Rome didn't care about philosophy. Didn't care. They weren't philosophical. They weren't into this stuff of Who's right, who's wrong? They didn't care. They're extremely practical people. For them, it was what works. Power, you know, makes everything work right. And so they use power. <clears throat> Pax Romano or peace was their version of everybody bowing their knee to Rome. And then things go pretty well for you. Mostly. You get taxed heavily, but you can survive. For them, it was about practica practicalities. Pilate's neck is on the line. You see, if he doesn't handle the situation well, and there's an uprising, he could lose his job. Caesar could come in and just be like, you're gone. Place someone else in that role because you can't keep the peace in your area. So for Pilate, it's the only thing he's concerned about is let's keep the peace here. Let's see if we can just blow this over. So Pilate asks the question, aren't you, aren't you going to answer? And Jesus doesn't. It, the fact that he's surprised by this, amazed by this, means that Jesus has done something that no one else had done before. 
in a trial, which was that Jesus asks a question or poses an answer that's not a real answer and remains silent in the midst of accusation. How difficult is that for you and me that when we are being accused of something that we remain silent and stay in the discomfort of that accusation. That is extraordinarily difficult. How difficult is it for you to not jump into the roles that you have been assigned for the sake of trying to prove yourself, of trying to defend yourself, of trying to be liked, of wanting to earn respect, of wanting to make sure we look like we know what we're doing. And Jesus remains silent and stays in the place of discomfort, his own discomfort, perhaps, by being accused of things that he knows isn't true or that is slightly true, but with a, a lot of lie uh, in, in it. So Jesus doesn't give in to the temptation to prove himself. I find it powerful that Jesus does not answer the question, but remains silent because he is actually practicing becoming freer and freer from the compulsion and the need to be loved, to be liked, to be respected, to look a certain way, to have the admiration of people, to feel like you're right and not wrong. And Jesus, I'm sure, was tempted by all of those things, but his path becomes our path, and that in remaining silent at the times when you should remain silent, that you end up dying to the ego. You end up dying to your own pride. You end up dying to the need to be loved, the need to be liked, the need to be admired, the need to be respected, the need to be right over being wrong. And then through that, you arise to a new freedom that you never knew could be real. Whereas you no longer play in the games of the world, the games of being like, the manipulation that media has around us because we have a need to be admired and need to be respected and need to be right. If you don't want to be rattled, please don't watch the Netflix, uh, what is it, documentary or movie on, uh, called Social Dilemma, the documentary. Don't watch that. It'll rattle you. I did, and it was quite unsettling, and, all, and it was good. It was a good unsettling. But it opens your eyes to seeing that we're, we're able to be manipulated because of these core needs that we have. And if you want to fall into the matrix, remember the movie, The Matrix. If you don't remember that or you never watched it, it's this movie, sci-fi movie based upon this idea that uh, everybody was in this alternate universe or in alternate, uh, they believed that they were in this reality, but really what they were is they were in this suspended animation and they were all in these tubes but in their minds, they were believing they were living a normal life. And 
this is so true to reality, to our reality, is that we are all in a matrix, every last one of us, and we're ever awakening from that, which is why when you have this moment of aha, and you have this like, oh my, I can't, I can't believe I didn't see this before, and you have this moment, it is because you're awakening out of the matrix that we all live in. Matrix is that we don't actually see things as they are, we see things as we are. We see things through our broken, sometimes very broken lenses and sometimes partially broken lenses. We're seeing through those. And Jesus provokes us with a question, provoked his people, provokes us, us today still with a question that can undermine how we see things in all the right ways. But I love how Jesus refuses to fall into the trap that is given to him as well. Like you can enter into the matrix, Jesus, you can get liked, you can be loved, you can be admired, you can be respected, you can be right, you can have that if you would just play the game. And Jesus stays silent and allows the death process to happen to him before he actually literally dies on the cross. So for those of you who have watched the matrix, the pill that opens your eyes to reality is the pain <clears throat> of being silent in the moment, of refusing to defend yourself, of allowing the question to undermine you in all the right ways, to cause you to begin to ask deeper questions. Because as you do so, you will be free, truly free as Jesus became through this whole process, truly free from the compulsive needs that we all have. Right. It's beautiful. It's beautiful because the question invites us into that journey. Answers are just about destination. Where do I live? Who am I? All these are destination sort of questions. What do I believe about this? What do I think about that? These are all destination questions. But the ones, or destination answers, excuse me, but questions invite us to a journey of ever unfolding and discovering and awakening and becoming free from all of these lower needs that we all possess. Okay. So Jesus's response, let's take a look at it. You have said so. That's his only response. You have said so. And the other gospel writers re repeat that. They all say the same thing that Jesus said, you have said so. It's a weird phrasing. Again, most of what I read out there on, from these different websites and pastors were, he was affirming that he's the king of the Jews. But why didn't he just simply say, yes, there's a Greek word for that. There's an Aramaic word for that. He could have just simply said, yes, I am. But he didn't. He said, you have said so. So to my mind, I think in terms of the consistency of how Jesus functioned from the beginning of Mark to this point in Mark, Thinking back to Mark chapter 8, when he asks the disciples a question, who do men say that I am? And I say, well, some say that you're a prophet, some say that you're Elijah, some say, and Jesus says, yeah, but <clears throat> who do you say that I am? One of the greatest questions in the New Testament is who do you say that I am? And Peter has this response that's unedited, that suddenly is one of these moments of enlightenment where he says, oh, 
you're the you're the Christ. Oh my goodness, you're the Christ, the Son of the Lord. There's this moment of his eyes pop. And Jesus says this, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Meaning, no one in their particular systems of thought, systems of belief, ways of being, none of it came from that. This came from somewhere else. This came from a deeper place within you, something that is so deep that it didn't come from the influence of everything around us that's telling us how to be, how to think, how to function in this world. And Peter has his glimpse for a moment. But I love how true to reality this is because immediately after he says that, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, then Jesus says, yep, and I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to have to be crucified, and I'm going to have to die. But I'm going to be resurrected, but that's my path. And then Peter says, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. I will make sure you don't do that. And Jesus responds and says to him, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> this is so true to how we are. We have glimpses. We There's a question that, that shakes us up, right? And we, for a moment, glimpse outside of that matrix, outside of that false reality. But then what happens? We fall back in. Right? It's very much like waking up. So AJ came to me this morning, and if he's listening, I love you, buddy. But you can't, he came and woke me up at 5 a.m. and says, I can't sleep. And uh, I can't get back to sleep. And I'm thinking, well, I could get up now. But uh, I'd like to snooze a little bit more. So I, I sent him uh, sent him back, and he uh, so he went back to his bed, and um, and I fell back asleep. And this is the process of us ever waking: is that there are moments where we wake up and then we fall back asleep. We go right back to the systems of before, the ways of thinking before, and that's okay. That's part of the journey. But once you've woken up a little bit, it's hard to go back to sleep. And that's what kept Peter going after Jesus and all the disciples pursuing it because they had been asked a question they could not answer. They had fallen in love with some new reality that they were tasting, a freedom that they never knew they could have, a freedom from these drives that are deep within all of us that little by little we become liberated from them and we begin to be able to walk in a new way, free from the, the traps of the world. You have said so, I think is more of a question than an answer. It's more of something like, is that what you believe? Imagine that, imagine Play, play this out with me. And Jesus says, you have said so. I'm not, I, didn't, I didn't make that claim about me. That claim is coming from somewhere else. So I'm curious, what do you actually believe? Who do you say that I am? Why do you want to follow me? Another question Jesus asked. What, what, what's in it for you? Why are you asking me for bread, 
for food? Are you following me in John chapter six? Are you following me because I fed you, because I gave you food? Is that why you're still following me, all you crowds of people? What are you looking for? <laughs> I love it. It's not as though he's angry and pushing them away. I don't believe that for one moment. I think it is this, it, this, this loving, sort of charming kind of, kind of challenge to them. What are you doing? Why are you following me? What is it that you're seeking? So that you have to go back to yourself and ask yourself, why am I doing that? You see, most of us in America do not answer that question. We never even ask ourselves that question. Why am I doing this? Why do I think the way I think? Why do I believe what I believe? Not as a way to not have beliefs, not at all. It's a way to actually deepen what do you actually believe? What's really going on? Can we start to unpack some of that? And so you have said so. Finally, the last thing I want to talk about. So the, just a recap, the first thing is Jesus doesn't give in to temptation to prove himself. And we can stay silent in the midst of those accusations that sometimes come our way that have an opportunity of freeing us from why those accusations are so, so painful, right? They're so painful because we're oftentimes protecting ourselves. Secondly, you have said so. What is it that you believe? What do you think about all of this? And thirdly, what do you believe about God? Jesus, ultimate reality. What do you think about that? So as I said, Jesus turns things back on people so many of the so many times, right? You think about Jesus, he seldom wants to be the hero of any story. When he heals people, oftentimes he says, your faith made you well, right? If Jesus wanted it to be about him, he would have said, I made you well. It's real simple, right? There's not, nothing difficult or complex about it. And in his day, that's exactly how the Messiahs did it. So if you read in any ancient history around these would-be Messiahs that came, they always made it about themselves. It was always about them. I'm the hero. I'm here to save you. But Jesus does not make it about him. He's always putting it back on the people. Always when they praise him, when they follow him, when they start to want to make him king, he disappears. He leaves that city, goes somewhere else. It's always pulling away because the point of this is it isn't only about Jesus. In the greatest sense, it is and it isn't. It's about Jesus because Jesus is modeling to us that it can be very much, we, we can very much be like him. We ourselves can be like Christ. And if Jesus just wanted it to be about him, then he would have been the hero and they would have never become like him. You ever notice what happens when there's too much hero worship and there's some celebrity and they get and they snap and they get angry and they say something like, live your own life, stop living mine. Right? What's happening there? It's like this isn't real love. You're just wanting to live through me instead of live your life. Jesus knows that about us and so points it back to us and says, You need to live your life. 
because you have Christ within you too. And I want to wake that up within you is this capacity to wake up out of this matrix and see. And it's Christ within you, the hope of glory. And so I love that Jesus answers these questions, oftentimes with greater questions. It's like Jesus offers them a 2,000-piece puzzle as an answer to a question they asked. So let's get out your cup of coffee and uh, maybe have a few snacks around because we'll be here a while. Oh, you have a question. Here's the answer. It's a 2,000-piece puzzle. Start putting it together. And so they begin to have to put this thing together. Why is that so important? Because none of us is ever convinced by evidence. Never convinced by evidence. Evidence, all it does is maybe change your belief about something, your concept about something, but it does not invite you onto the journey where you have to know yourself and, and, and ask the, answer the question for yourself, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about ultimate reality? What do I believe about me? What do I know about me? Because when the accusations come, they will surface some things in us. When the questions come, they will surface some things in us. But we can quickly go back to sleep if we want by just defending ourselves, by arguing, by escaping from these opportunities, by not taking the pill that will wake us up from the matrix, by resisting that. We have all kinds of opportunities to do that. But we also have all kinds of opportunities that are given to us daily where we can finally, not finally, there's no final, where we can begin to exit our ways of being that are keeping us from a greater life, from greater liberty, from greater freedom. I believe what drew the disciples so powerfully was they saw in Jesus something they wanted in themselves. This guy is comfortable in his own skin. And I'm not. I'm not comfortable in my own skin. When I'm around people, I feel like I have to perform. I feel like I have to be right. I feel like I have to defend myself. I, have to, I feel like I have to. I feel like I want to avoid people entirely because they annoy me or they stress me out or I'm never comfortable. And yet this guy, it doesn't matter whether he's alone or with people surrounded by them. He is at a place of peace and at a place of liberty and at a place of rest with possessing wisdom and feeling seeming confident, something that I just so badly want. And I believe that that's also what drew so many of them to him. And I think that Jesus is saying to them, the reason why I'm asking you these questions, I'm offering you a 2000 piece puzzle is because you can have that too. It's yours. It's not just mine. 
but you're going to have to walk the journey I walk. Uh, Jesus, can we sit next to you when you're in your kingdom? Sure. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? <laughs> can you go the path I'm going to walk? Can you do that? Because if you can, you can have that. You can have that and more. You can have the ultimate freedom and the ultimate joy and the ultimate blessings. They're yours. Right? Remember at the beginning of the series, I said, there's this book that, uh, that was written on the book of Mark, about the book of Mark, um, by this man who talks about the Gospels as fairy tale, drama, and tragedy. My friends, this is fairy tale. Very much. And we have that opportunity to walk into that this morning. So with that, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, people that I love, that are part of my ongoing journey, and that I'm part of your ongoing journey, we're in this together. And there is so much more for us to grow into. So continue on this incredibly exciting adventure and journey.